0: Do better. Welcome to Do Better Podcast, a digital content hub from Asade built for minds interested in doing better. Knowledge ideas, perspectives, and research insights on topics that matter. Business advice for better decisions and growth. Latest on the world of innovation and ideas. A look inside a global world beyond borders and an open view on social challenges. You can leave your comments and suggestions on dobetter.isadeh.edu. Hello, my name is Oscar Fernandez and I'm a senior researcher at the Sadegeo Centre for Global Economy and Geopolitics. Uh, Joining here today um, is Rim Turkmani, Director of the Syria Conflict Research Programme in the Department of International Development at the London School of Economics and Political Science. Dr. Turkmani, thank you very much for being here with us.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm honored to be here talking to you and to the students this afternoon.
0: Uh, So let me first ask you briefly about your life story. Uh, You were born in Homs in Syria. Yes. And then you did your bachelor's degree in Damascus. Mm -hmm. And then you went on to pursue an international career in astrophysics. Right. Uh, With a Ph.D. obtained in Sweden. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, when the Syrian war war broke out, uh, you were working at the Imperial College in London. And then your career path changed drastically, we may say, uh, and you decided to embrace the social sciences. So you were, were wondering if maybe you would like to take us through those times and how the Syrian war influenced your decision.
1: Sure. Uh, so, I mean, I grew up in Syria. I went to Damascus University. had great time there. It was really fun. But the one thing that was missing is proper scientific research. And my inspiration was to become a, a scientist. And science is about producing new knowledge, uh, research, and that was not an option in Syria, not even in the entire region, which is why I made the decision to travel abroad and uh, take a master's degree and PhD from a uni- European university. Uh, so I did that in Sweden, and uh, soon after I finished, I got a job at the Imperial College uh, as an astrophysicist, and I worked there for more than eight years. I was very happy, I has I had the fellowship from the Royal Society, uh, which is... You know the most prestigious scientific society in the earth, established 350 years ago, so everything was, was looking very good, and I was settled, married, live in London, and then suddenly Syria falls apart, and gradually I was falling apart with it as well. It's like, I just cannot watch this and not do anything about it. I can't continue looking at the sky and watching the sun and the stars and not do something about my country. So, um, it was a very difficult times so i then realized that the one thing i know how to do is research. And I wasn't always convinced about the knowledge that was being produced about Syria. There is very little academic research previously about Syria, very few attempts to understand the structure of uh, power, of the economy, how does it work. Uh, the data that was coming also is very polarized during the conflict, which we would expect. When I talk to people there, when I talk to people on the ground, I always hear a different story to the one dominant in the, in the media. So I decided that I wanted to research uh, uh, my own way uh, about what's going on in the country, particularly the local dynamics. So I started this uh, on my own, and then I met with Professor Mary Calder, who works at the LSE, and uh, she she said to me, well, this is the way we do things, almost exactly the same way. We work with civil society, trying to understand the dynamics on the ground, um, and how can we present solutions. So I started working with her first part-time, uh, and then that kind of we, we got one publication, then the second publication, and they were well received. So uh, eventually, somehow, I ended up working at the London mm-hmm. School of Economics and Political mm-hmm. Science, that's, directing research programs on Syria. So. That's fascinating. Yeah.
0: Yes. Uh, so soon it will be nine years since the beginning of the Syrian war yeah. uh, in mm-hmm. March next yeah. this year. Mm-hmm. And recently, we've seen some developments that would appear to clear up the situation slightly. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm thinking mostly of um, ISIS and how it lost most, if not all, of its territory in mm-hmm. Syria. And it, it also lost its leader, um, al-Baghdadi, uh, in a U.S. raid yeah. uh, recently. Uh, U.S. support to the Kurds, meanwhile, has diminished. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bashar al-Assad is now on the offensive against uh, Turkish forces in Italy. So um, we know Assad is guilty, of course, of perpetrating terrible crimes against its own people. Uh, But uh, can we already say uh, that he is emerging victorious from the war?
1: It depends how you want to see the war. Uh, If you see it as um, originally Um, A conflict between authoritarian regime and people who want democracy, uh, want respect for human rights, then he certainly did not. He lost badly. He came out of it even worse than where he was before. If you see it as a war over security control over land, then in a way he he won, but it's a very pyrrhic victory. He only has security control over part of Syria, not even all of Syria, uh, but this is not the only thing you need to govern a state. On many other uh, fronts, he's unable to govern. Mm -hmm. Um, So the regime is actually, right now, very weak, a challenge in many different ways. The economy is doing very bad. He's unable to deliver to the people, unable to to govern in all the areas and provide services. so many people who supported the regime, particularly uh, kind of its own constituency, that, all, that, that the people who fought with him are now looking at the regime and saying, Well, hold on, I mean, we supported you for nine years, our kids died for you to stay in power uh, on the promise that the war will be over and everything will be better. And now the war is over, you are still in power, but look at where we are you know, we lost everything. And you're unable to deliver anything for us. So he's being challenged by his own constituency, Mm. right? Not only the opposition. When you're challenged by the opposition, that's the normal thing, right? Mm -hmm. But your own supporters, your your base of legitimacy is challenging you. Mm -hmm. So no, the regime, I don't think, is in a very good position. Mm
0: -hmm. That's very interesting. On on
1: the issue of ISIS, you also raised, yes, yes, ISIS did lose territorial control. But remember that having control over an, a piece of kind of land over, over an area and assuming yourself as a state, that was only uh, like one phase of ISIS. ISIS existed well before that under the ground and still exists under the ground. Mm-hmm. And the reasons why ISIS was able to control all this area of land are still there it's the conflict the lack of the lack of, of a legitimate state uh, mm-hmm. you know in place uh, there's so many young people who have n- nothing to do you know no one's paying them for any uh, proper job there's ideological vacuum as well with the collapse of the bath regimes and mm-hmm. and there's no you know people want they want a state, right? And yeah. then ISIS came in in an area that was just you, we've seen the state collapse, and they said, "Okay, we're gonna reverse the collapse of the state, and we're gonna give you a state, and it functions, it works well as long as you obey the rules. You, you know, uh, you, you will be fine." And uh, this situation is still there mm-hmm. on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to be careful if the um, if the conflict is not resolved we might well see a comeback of ISIS. It could be under a different name, under a different color, but yes. there will be something of it's kind of similar in nature to yeah. that organization.
0: And we know that Syria is much more than a civil war, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, international actors are deeply involved in, in the conflict. And one of the main ones is Iran, uh, which is perhaps the chief sponsor of the Assad regime. Um, And the man who was leading Iran's operations in Syria was Qasem Soleimani, Mm -hmm. uh, top general of the Islamic uh, Revolutionary Guards. And as everybody knows, he was killed by a U.S. drone strike uh, in early January. So how do you think Soleimani's killing will influence Iran's behavior and operations in Syria if it's going to have any influence at all?
1: I mean, Iran has influence in Syria. It's not going to change dramatically after the killing of Soleimani because the problem was uh, uh, the arms of Israel out, uh, sorry, the arms of uh, Iran, outside Iran, which is all this, uh, uh, the, the Al Quds Brigade and their own support to non-state armed groups, uh, uh, their way of pursuing foreign policy by supporting non-state actors, by destabilizing countries, uh, by mobilizing based on sectarian identity, um, by trying to infiltrate the economy, all these issues are still there, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not all about Suleimani And Iran is still doing all of this, you know? They're still trying to mobilize all over Syria. They're building schools to try to kind of convert people to Shi'ism. They are recruiting youngsters to, um, to militias. Uh, they're buying properties um, here and there. Um, and. It's not going to be easy to get rid of that influence. You can't do it by aerial bombardment or killing one man, or you know we need a more like a political solution, the pr- diplomatic solution, different way of engagement uh, uh, in the area. I mean everyone, take, for example, what everyone is concerned uh, about in the West when we talk about Iran. They're concerned about the nuclear power, right? The threat of Iran using nuclear power. But how likely are they to use it? How likely is anyone to use now a nuclear pump? They should be more worried about the other, t- other forms of power that Iran is exercising outside its borders and is dis- destabilizing the entire region, not only Syria, also Lebanon and Yemen and Iraq, the same scenario. They should focus on this, not on the nuclear mm-hmm. deal.
0: So let's talk diplomacy then, uh, and particularly the role of the European Union. Um, I wanted to ask you, What do you think about the role uh, that the European Union has played uh, throughout these nine years of conflict? Sure. Um, If if I want to talk about the European Union as a union,
1: not a member state, I would say the main role was kind of economic, right? So despite that, actually, if you look at Syria, I mean, the immediate neighbors away from, like, you know, the Arab countries and Turkey, it's, it's actually Europe. It's not Russia or the US, right? The main polarizing powers now in the Syrian conflict, the external powers, is, is Russia and the US. But who paid the price of the Syrian conflict outside its borders, you know, away from Lebanon and Turkey? It's actually Europe. Who received the refugees? It's Europe. Who paid the humanitarian bill? It's Europe. Who had all the security threats coming from ISIS members? It's Europe, it's not Russia, it's not the US. So Europe is paying the consequences of a uh, Russian-American comeback in the region and the conflict. And why do they have to do this without any political gain? Politically, they were not influential, sadly. They took a very firm position very early on in the conflict, which made them lose any leverage. So they played all their cards in one day back in August. 2011, they imposed all sanctions. They declared the, they said the regime should, you know, uh, should be toppled. The Assad should step down. Uh, they cut access to all um, grants and, uh, you know, loans and just completely cut all ties. Uh, although they kept their office in Damascus open with kind of minimal uh, uh, staff presence. So and then since then there was not much they were able to do except paying the humanitarian bill, which is very sad. Um, and I think we need Europe to come back. We need a comeback to, for of Europe a political comeback, right? So we need them to be part of the political process. We need them to be there on the table. When in Geneva the you know you find the, the, the political table is dominated by um, Russia and the US and Iran and Turkey and the Syrian regime. We need the Europeans there to balance this and To invoke the values of democracy in respect of human rights again, I'm not going to expect this from Iran or from Russia, right? And Syrians want democracy. Syrians want respect of their human rights, of their dignity. That's what they, you know, that's this is the main reason why they went to the streets in 2011.
0: Uh, So, uh, in the next 10 years, uh, what kind of Syria do you envisage, I know this is a very ambitious question. In the Uh, next, sorry? Yeah, 10 years. 10 years. Uh, And and to what extent do you think uh, civil society can contribute to repairing the uh, social and political fabric in the country?
1: It's very difficult to see ahead. I think anyone who can say that they can see beyond six months in Syria, they they either don't know what they're talking about or they're lying. <laughs> you know, it's all there will be different scenarios basically, right? And right now, where we are is that the economy is, is finished basically. You know, I mean, the the the, the, um, the national reserve of 18 billion is gone. The uh, productive economy is completely killed. Um, so the, country is, the country's economy is extremely dependent on uh, external factors. So any fluctuations in the exchange rate reflects directly on the ordinary people. And what that means is that whoever comes with, a, with economic solution can dictate the future in the, in the co- uh, coming 10 years. So it's the future of the country is up for sale, and it depends on who's going to buy it. So do we want... Um, a Mullah state, you know? Do we want the Gulf to come in and uh, kind of, you know, create more uh, a state with a religious leadership? Whether Sunni or Shia? I don't care. It's, 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 it's the same, you know? It's not true democracy. Is that what we want, for example? Do we want post-Soviet state like, you know, Syria? Or do we want a country that is on the track of democratic transition? I argue if Europe comes back with the right political strings attached to its funding, uh, working with civil society with the private sector on the small and medium size, not the large one where you've got the corrupt guys yeah. if they start working with these uh, with, with those people and if they have comprehensive uh, uh, economic political plan, then there is a chance to see country uh, you know my country on the track uh, of recovery and there will be a lot of space then for civil society to step forward and play its role, because it does have true vision for the future of Syria. Unlike uh, the political opposition, which is still dictated by its own backers, the civil society has true vision you know, for the future. And once there's less violence, less interference, I think there will be more space for them to step in and play a leading role.
0: Okay, well, thank you very much for these very interesting insights, um, Dr. Tukmari.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: If you still want to learn more, remember, you can register on our platform, dobetter.asade.edu. That was all for today. Until next time, thank you.